Welcome into the NHL at the Rink podcast. Dan Rosen here, joined by Sean Rourke. As always, Sean, we are having Scotty Bowman on this podcast today. He will join us very soon. I'm very excited about that. It's going to be awesome. One of the one of the great minds in all of hockey. 50 years of knowledge, right? I mean, this this podcast may go three hours. <laughs> he is the greatest coaching mind in hockey, in my opinion, and he probably still is. He's sharp as a tack, and you'll hear some of that. I mean, I can't wait to ask him. I, we have so many things to ask him. He just spans so much. And the other thing is he's still very involved. He's still very active, right? I mean, he's still at games all the time when games are being played. And watches a ton of games, you know, obviously helping stand out with the Blackhawks and, and just so tuned in. I mean, every once in a while when you go to a game and you're lucky enough to see Scotty in the building, you see how deep his connections are and all the people he's able to talk to and the respect everybody has for him. So, um, yeah, definitely I cannot wait to get into a number of topics. Well, we will do that. But before we do that, let's get into a few other topics. Uh, you must have loved this. The Boston-centric call on Monday arranged by the NHL celebrating Patriots Day in Boston, which was Monday. There was no marathon. There was no Red Sox game. Uh, there was no Bruins game. But there was Chris Kreider, Chris Wagner, Kevin Hayes, and then Keith Yandel on the call on the video conference, and it was just it was so Boston centric. As a New Englander, for you, Sean, I'm sure it must have been amazing to watch, and I'm sure you got some of the inside jokes on it too. Oh, for sure. And and look, you know, I I don't follow baseball as closely as I used to, but I think on Monday was when it really hit. That 11 a.m. Patriots Day game that the Red Sox have every year is is one of the highlights of the sporting calendar for me. And obviously, that didn't happen, but. Uh, Oh my God, those guys were unbelievable, and it went up a whole different level when Keith Yandel got involved. Oh. I think you can, I think you can see now why he was picked by, by in the Players Association poll as the funniest player in the league by by a huge margin over Drew Doughty. I mean, he's killing people. He comes on, and the first thing he says is, "Chris Kreider, are you trying out for a Prison Break movie?" <laughs> yeah, because Chris had a toque on, um, and it it just went from there. But yeah, the whole and then saying how the Bean Pots an overrated tournament and. You know, upsetting all the other guys that that went to one of the four schools that do play in the bean pod every year. Um, it, it was great, and it, it's look. I mean, there's regional stereotypes for for everybody in hockey, right? Whether you're you, you know the Minnesota, Michigan guys, or you know that new wave of California guys, or the Swedes, or whatever. And there's definitely a Massachusetts, New England vibe, and and I thought the brilliance of that call was that it caught it perfectly. And perhaps the highlight was the trivia at the end when they did a bunch of very Boston-centric stuff from this Revolutionary War all the way through sports history. And and it just brilliant when uh, I forget exactly who it was uh, called Paul Revere, Paulie R. That was Kevin Hayes. That was yeah. my, that, that I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> when he did that, it was it was a question like who said the British are coming to British coming and Kevin Hayes goes Paulie R. <laughs> it's it unbelievable. It, it was like it was one of the Beastie Boys. Yeah, and, and then uh, at the same point, he says Paulie R. Right before he says Paulie R. Keith Yandel says, that's my guy and he, about Paul <laughs> Revere. And he, saw, he also said it about JFK. He called JFK his guy as well. Um, but I thought the two best parts for me was, A, when they were talking about the Patriots, which I'm sure you didn't like too much, and Brady leaving, and Wack, Chris Wagner saying he's all in for the rebuild. I love that. And then when 
Hayes was talking about Kreider and how he's like, oh, I, I've heard you. I, I've seen you speak Russian. And Keith Yandel just goes, heard. <laughs> and it was, it was, it, they, they were just ripping on each other, chirping each other, chirping where they're from. Like, the, you know, Hayes being from Dorchester and Wagner being from Walpole. It, I'm not a Boston guy. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up there, but you felt like, you were watching four Boston guys sitting around at a bar talking, and I thought it was just brilliant. Yeah, and I thought John Delapina and PR did a great job sneaking in the Eli picture, which I'm sure you enjoyed. Uh, um, yes, I did. To take the stick out of those guys. <laughs> but uh, perhaps my favorite part was when they were doing the pictures and they had uh, Brady and uh, Jim Plunkett, and they needed both of them to be identified. Everybody got Brady, and nobody could get Plunkett. And John Delapina goes... He's a two-time Super Bowl MVP, and two guys on the call go Scott Solak. <laughs> Solak, who never took a snap in a Super Bowl. By the way. <laughs> and then so, when he, they, they were told it was Jim Plunkett. Kevin Hayes goes, Jiminy P. <laughs> but that may not have even been the best Boston thing this week. Last night, where this is Wednesday, last night the Bruins had the whole team get together from the 2011 championship, including Tim Thomas, which made me extremely happy to kind of see him reintegrate himself into the hockey into public life in hockey after a long time of being out of out of sight um but they did a a, a youtube uh, zoom type thing where they all watched the game and talked about it and again it was the same kind of thing all the insults came back from 2011 and you know marshan was in his glory and all those guys were in their glory it was fantastic to watch both you and i covered that series and uh, it brought back a lot of memories. It's a great idea that they do these things. I think the Washington Nationals did it too. You know, where everybody's at home, so get them all together on a Zoom like that. It, it, it's fantastic stuff. And that series, yes. I mean, that series was was just terrific. Uh, another topic I wanted to get to with you. The Gretzky and Ovechkin dinner with their wives in Malibu in March of 2016. These two guys were on the hockey at home with Catherine Tappan this week, Wayne Gretzky and Alex Ovechkin. And then they talked about a dinner that they had in between on a day off for Ovechkin. He said to Gretzky, what can I do to help my team win the Stanley Cup? Uh, he had all the personal stuff and that, but he wanted, he, he, the goal was the Stanley Cup and he hadn't had that yet. And he went to Wayne Gretzky at a dinner and picked his brain and asked him what he could do. And Gretzky was blown away by it. And I just love that story that, you know, you have these two legends, right? And one is chasing the other one in his goals record now. And they're talking at dinner and, and Ovechkin is picking the brain of Wayne Gretzky. What do I need to do? And then they win the cup two years later. And he says what that advice was from Gretzky. It helped him. It's amazing. I mean, you think about those opportunities and how rare they come you know, a lot of times when you're meeting famous people or you're meeting your idols, uh, you know, it's a really quick, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. There's hundreds of people around. I can't imagine what, you know, a two-hour dinner with just Wayne and his wife and, and Ovi and his wife, you know, and, and the ability to have that connection. Um, it, it must have been amazing. It's too bad that they didn't tape it. They could sell it as one of those master classes. Oh. They absolutely could. It would be wonderful to see it. And also came out of that, too, was that Gretzky texted Ovechkin when he went five games without scoring. He's stuck on 699 this season. Told him, just relax. You'll get to 700. Soon enough, you'll be at 800, right? Gretzky certainly believes that Ovechkin can break his record. And one of the things, and Tom Glitty wrote the story for us, too, saying that uh, what Gretzky said that if Ovechkin does break it, he wants a game-used signed 
stick because Gretzky gave him a game used sign stick uh, from his 807th goal as a promise, fulfilling a promise that he made at that dinner in Malibu, said, if you ever win the Stanley Cup, Alex, I'll get you one. And now if Alex breaks Wayne's record, he wants a game-used sign stick. And Gretzky, I'm sure, would deserve that and cherish it, too, because you know the type of hockey historian he is. That's the greatest part of the whole thing, is they're both fans. They really support each other. I, I thought the most amazing thing, and it wasn't necessarily out of that dinner, but Gretzky said it all along, is, you know, if, if Ovi ever gets close to his record, he's going to follow him around until he breaks it. And, and you know, that's what Gordy did for Wayne. And, and it's a little bit of paying it back. And, you know, I'm sure if it ever, if Ovi ever gets there and then somebody comes up behind him, whether it's McDavid or whoever it might be, you know, Ovi would do the same thing. And to me, that's one of the most beautiful things about, about the sport and, and about the history and about how – you know, you, you hate to compare sports, but I think as much as any other sport, if not more, how much the players appreciate the history and what's come before them. Absolutely. Speaking of history, last thing I wanted to get to before we get to Scotty Bowman is our Super 16. We had a long conversation last week with Nick Katsunika about our goaltending Super 16, our, the best goalies from 1967 to the present day. This week, it runs Thursday, is the best defenseman from 1967 to the present day. I didn't have it for me. It wasn't as difficult as the goaltenders were Uh, not surprising. Bobby Orr is the unanimous number one, but when you see the list come out on Thursday, it gets tighter after that. And I looked at our two lists, Sean, and we agreed on 13 of the 16 uh, guys. We, I had Duncan Keith, Mark Howe, and Eric Carlson. You did not. You had, I believe it was uh, Scott Stevens, Chris Bronger and Bore Salming. I did not. I was kind of surprised that, at the top, like that there was some, some deviation, you know, you think about it and everybody thinks about Bork. I had Lichstrom at number two, which I believe you did as well. Yes. And then you had yeah. Bork at three. I, I had, I had him at four. I put Larry Robinson ahead of him. Um, and, and you had Larry much later as did a lot of people. I, you know, I think I was kind of the outlier in doing that and certainly don't want to give away the whole list, but uh, it, it was a bit easier. I think as you got deeper into it, you know, I'll tell you one of the ones I really wrestled with and they ended up right next to each other was uh, Scott Niedermeyer and Brian Leach, two contemporaries who, you know, to me really kind of fueled that Ranger Devils rivalry. And that was when I started covering the NHL. You know, I, I started in 93 and, and then in 94, those guys played in the Eastern Conference final. And, and you know, one of the best head-to-head matchups I've ever seen. 1994, Brian Leach, that's the best defensive performance, a performance from a defenseman I've ever seen live. Um, and that carried a lot of weight. And what I did, and I, and I didn't think I would do it, but I thought maybe I would put Leach ahead of Niedermeyer, but I put Niedermeyer ahead of Leach. I, I just thought over a longer period of time, Scott was a little, uh, just a tiny bit better, but it was a tough one. My regret, and I do have a regret for my list because I couldn't change it after a while, was I think I had Brian Leach too low. I had him at number 12. I probably should have had him a little higher, but I weighed championships too and i weighed first team all-stars and brian leach was a two-time first team all-star one-time champion whereas look scott niedermeyer who was number uh nine on my list was a three-time first team all-star four-time cup champion a con Smythe trophy winner like leach was um so some of those other things i took into account but i think maybe i did have brian leach a little low and you know when you do these things and you look back on them you do sometimes have a regret right 
Yeah, and I can't believe you just told me that. I can't believe he was only a two-time first-time All-Star. There must have been some pretty good defensemen in the league yeah. when he played. Speaking of a guy who's coached some pretty terrific defensemen, some guys that are on our lists, our Super 16, which runs Thursday, Scotty Bowman, a nine-time Stanley Cup championship coach, and he's still a senior advisor with the Chicago Blackhawks, as we promised. We caught up with Scotty, and here is that interview. Scotty, thank you so much for joining us. First, we got to ask you, how are you? How's the family? How's everybody dealing with all this? Well, like everybody, you know, we're um, we're missing. It's the first time. Well, it's not the first time, but it's the first time for this reason. But uh, just trying to stay connected as much as we can. And uh, uh, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the right place as far as uh, being able to go. It's not very busy where I am. Most of the people. Uh, they 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 stay here for six, five, six, seven months, and they go. So they did leave. A lot of them left about Easter. I'm just about uh, an hour, maybe an hour and a bit from Tampa, a place called uh, Siesta Key. It's a it's a barrier island. It's very very quiet, so I can I can get outdoors pretty easy and and do do what I want to do. But uh, not much else you can do, you know. <laughs> well, you're missing hockey like the rest of us, I would assume. Yeah, I'm reading hockey books. I'm, I've watched, I think I've watched the gamut of most of the old games. Well, far back as 1950, they don't have the full games or anything, but, and then I, I see the games from the later on, from the 70s and 80s and 90s. They, they do a lot of repeats. They put them on at different times. So I like to tape them and, uh, I get a good kick out of watching, uh, the, the teams I was with, you know, it's, but it's such a different game now. It's, it's well, some of them. It's forty, like the Montreal days are forty, forty plus years, you know. So, what are you reading? I just got a book about a month ago. Uh, some gentleman in Montreal wrote a book on Toe Blake. I didn't know a lot of things about. I, I Toe and I had had been in the Montreal chain. The I was in there, and I was a junior coach when he was coaching the big team. And you know, I didn't how great a player he was, and uh, uh, the path he took to get to Montreal was. Uh, quite a book it's uh, his his son is still he has he had two daughters and a son and his two daughters are passed away but his son is about 70 now and he he helped corroborate the uh the book with a, a writer i had not heard of but it was a, quite an informative book i just finished it and i have another book i just finished uh which uh, was a player from uh, detroit uh nick lidstrom that's quite a book too never heard of him <laughs> yeah yeah it's a good book yeah yeah well, they, they call him the perfect human. I guess that's that's well 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 uh, put, you know. Yeah, you know that's funny that you say that. We were going to um, right before we started talking to you. We we're doing this thing. It's called the power rankings. Normally, it's the top sixteen teams in the league, and we rank them. All the writers rank them each week, but we don't have the ability to do that with no oh. games going on now. So we've turned our eye to to players and and done it by positions, and we've already tackled goalies and oh. and, and now we're doing defensemen. And Nick was number two on most of our lists and finished number two overall. The list will come out tomorrow. Um, wow. I, you could probably guess who is number one. But, uh, you know, you coached Nicky for so long. What made him so good? Yeah, he just, uh, you know, he was so durable. He didn't miss very few games. Uh, and, you know, you, you just, uh, I think when I got there, he'd been there the year before. And uh, he had played, the first year I got there, We he was playing most of the time with, Vladimir Konstantinov, the, the Russian defenseman that had the tragic uh, injury, you know, that put him in terrible, terrible straits after one of the cup wins. But 
uh, Nick was just a, I mean, to to be so effective defensively and put up the numbers he did, you know, I mean, there's been some great defensemen in the league, um, but he was so balanced, offense and defense, positional positional player, um, you know, and you t- you look at the partners he had. Uh, I know when I was there, he was with Vladimir Konstantinov the one year, and then he played a little bit with Paul Coffey, and then he, he settled in, and uh, we we got a player from Toronto that was. Uh, found wanting by them, uh, Larry Murphy, and he, he had a great career for about three or four years with uh, with uh, Nick. And then uh, we also, for one year, we had a, a fellow Swede, uh, Fre- Frederick Olsen, another player that uh, they picked up, and he, he was on a cup winner. And and, and then I, I wasn't there after that, but I was still with the Red Wings when Brian Rafalski came over from New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I, I don't remember as a coach – if he ever like I, I I know that his partners were pretty pretty good offensively, and he would be. I don't remember the partners having to defend any two on ones. Amazing, <laughs> amazing how he was so good offensively, but never never got caught defensively. You know, and uh, and he had he had a lot of subtle little things. You know, he before they did the change in rules, uh, uh, he he had a trick where. He'd leave the left. He'd, he'd, he'd let you sort of think you're going to go by him on the boards, and he had a. He used to extend his stick, but not forward, sort of sideways and backwards. And then you'd run into you just enough to slow you down, and then he would go in and get the puck. And they, and I remember they said at the time when they changed all the rules of interference, they said he's going to start getting some penalties, but he had, he could adjust. He adjusted to the tempo of the game. Um, his possession numbers. We we didn't have analytics in the in the 90s, but I had a gentleman uh, who 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 took stats. Well, he he was there long before me. He worked for about three coaches before me, and he even worked for for Mike Babcock and Jeff Blashill after. And he, he whatever the coach wanted. Now, I I wanted to see what um, one of the stats the the meaningful stat for me was when when one of our players uh, got the puck either. From a from a teammate, or he defended and got the puck. What was the result of the next play? Did we did we keep the puck? Uh, did, was it a turnover? Did the other team get it? You know, in different positions. And his numbers were astounding. Like I mean, he was always like ninety plus percent. Like you know, we'd go through about maybe thirty possessions in a game, and and twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine. We still have the puck. You know. And and it meant so much to the good. We had good forwards too, but they would be getting the puck at the right place. And there's been other ones that did that. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in Montreal with Doug Harvey, and I know I know what kind of a defenseman he was when he got the puck, you know. And and Nick was not a, a rushing defenseman. Like he he didn't carry. He, he was more along the lines, like like a Harvey. He his 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 puck passing was terrific, and the way he could play the point, it was just. So so perfect. I mean, he could walk the line. He he didn't hit players with uh, with shots, you know. And and if you look at his point total, it's pretty pretty astounding. The stat, Scotty, that you mentioned there is mm-hmm. is so key, right? Especially for defensemen. Yeah. What's the oh, next yeah. play? You know, such an important stat. Do you see anybody in the game now that excels in that role? Like, I mean, I don't want to compare yeah. anybody to Lidstrom. Uh-huh. Or to Bobby Orr, but but yeah. who in the game now among defensemen in particular really catches your eye for playing the game the way you would want to coach the game? 
I see Victor Hedman a lot, but he's a yeah. different kind of player. He's a big, strong guy, and he uh, he he takes off with the puck, you know, and uh, just just one that can distribute the puck and 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 play play the right way, you know. And uh, but now they now it's changed because they want defensemen to to join the attack, you know that 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 fourth that like the you know so many players are back in position and they can handle a couple of forwards or or a three of them but sometimes they can't handle the fourth guy coming in you know and like like the player in Colorado that comes to my mind but he's he's just like a a forward uh, he's like a rover but he's he's mm-hmm. also saw is Macar Kale Macar yeah. he's he's just great you know but uh the young kid out in Vancouver is a is a is a a, a player. He's not very big. Uh, Hughes, uh, and uh, you know he he makes his pass percentage would be very high. You know he's a rookie. That he's he's one of the top rookies, isn't he? That yeah. He well, he and McCarr. Yeah. They're only they're only uh, rookies, like two. You know, and uh, I don't I don't know what's coming up now, but you know. Defensemen are not easy to find, and we know the, the the top guys. You know they're not easy to get unless you're way down in the bottom of the. And every year, every year they're not always available. You know, but you'd have to go through each team. I I'd have to go through and and, and look at say that or the, this defenseman. He's he's a special defenseman because he he makes plays out of his own end. You know. Scotty, you know, I, I wanted to circle back a minute. You said you were watching a lot of old games and you got a kick out of watching some of the teams yeah. that you coached. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, you know, when you mentioned that the game changed, I'm curious how you've seen, and you still talk to a lot of coaches, how coaching's yeah. changed. It struck me on Friday, they did a call in the NHL and they had a bunch of coaches on cue and yeah. tip it and a couple others. And they were talking about, they all came out of Hartford together and they were like, we all became coaches because nobody coached us. We were at the whiteboard by ourselves trying to figure out the Montreal power play or whatever it might be. How has coaching changed from when you started to, to where it's at now and what you see coaches doing today? Well, the game's such a big change in the game. I mean, the, I, I watched uh, some of the games that uh, Montreal we had. Uh, the, they, they showed them a couple of days ago. The, the, the three, the three. They had three in a row. They had seventy-six against Philly, and then uh, we had t- two series against Boston. But you know, there was a lot more stoppages. It seemed the di- the difference in the game at that time was you you could uh, like the, well we we had we had a center line to start with, and uh, you know. Uh, the, they did carry the puck as far as they could. I mean, we, we were fortunate in Montreal with the defense we had. It seemed like even in those those play, uh, final game, they always show the final game. And and I, I was looking at guys like we had on our team, Savard and Robinson and Lapointe. They got the puck out of the blue line. They got it when they got the puck. It usually got over the blue line, but there was a lot of whistles uh, because of the center line. There was there was off there was uh, two line passes. Uh, there was also a lot of there seemed to be a lot more icings, and there was even some blue blue line offsides, like because they were carrying the puck, and 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 the and the the players stayed on longer, like you know there was the shifts were at least twice as long as they are now. So they, they did change on the fly, but not as much as uh, like you know when you got your matchup, uh, you know it usually stayed there, but now. It might be difficult now to 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 do to keep if you were a lot of the shifts are short, twenty thirty. Some teams are shorter than others. I I watch all the games in in Tampa and Pittsburgh came in about maybe a month before the the stoppage and they had a 
quite a few injuries. But they, what re, I was remarking how how uh, like Crosby started the game 25 seconds after the first shift. Uh, boom, he's he's running, he's going to the bench, and and then somebody else is on. It'd be hard to match up because the shifts are shorter. If you were matching up a lot on the fly, you'd spend more time just changing on the fly, you know. And and uh, in my day, we were pretty sticklers. All the coaches, you know, the players didn't come off when they felt like it, or, or when they. I mean, they, they 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 would stay on, and it was it was a no no if you come off the ice to get a player change while the other team was having the puck, or even getting to a to make a play with the puck. That was that was not what you were coaching. So the, the difference is such a maybe taking the center line out. I mean, obviously, we know it's opened up. I, we never had the stretch pass. You could only do you could only do the pass from your own end uh, right up to the blue line, and and that's that's what I noticed the most about. There seemed to be more stoppages, and then I saw another game uh, about a maybe two weeks ago that it was the '92 uh, final in Chicago, uh, Pittsburgh. I was coaching the second year with the Penguins, and uh, the, 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 when the when the play stops, it takes it took a long time. For the next next play to develop. Now they, like, as soon as the play stops, boom! They, you know, there's not a there's not. It must be twice as long between. I mean, I, I know it was the, the final game, but it seemed twice as long. You know, there was, uh, you know, the, you could you could you could you could have a little more time to to make. Now it's it seems everything's so fast. You know, that's that's a big that's what I that's the change I take with it, and caused by the way the game has changed. The end zones are bigger. The, the 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 forwards don't cover the points they cover in front of the net it's a totally different game that begs the question because a lot of people and i hear it all the time say the game is in a great place right now mm-hmm. what do you think i mean yeah, with the speed and the skill yeah the, there's not as many whistles it's i'd like to I'd like to to, to uh, i mean you'd have to get a comparable game like you know i'm watching at the the final game of of the series so th- there's a lot of stoppages like there's there's 30, 40 seconds. I mean, we get some games like that, but we also get some games that have uh, a continuous play, you know, because mm-hmm. they've put in rules. I mean, all the rules, I mean, you know, the ultimate would be, be uh, like the, we talked often about the 75 game Montreal uh, against uh, the, the Russian team, the New Year's Eve game. And and, and that game was so remarkable because uh, in that era, they played eight minutes and 50 seconds in the second period without a whistle. I mean, I, I remember that game because each team had four lines and we needed four lines. I mean, the pace was, you know, these were two, two great teams and, 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 you know, uh, it was a great, a great game, but uh, there was in that era, we didn't have games like now you can, now there, there's some games except for maybe the, the uh, automatic icing that, that, that causes some whistles, but we play a lot of times where you, you, you there's no whistle. You know, uh, because we've taken that away from the game, which to me makes it a, an exciting game. You know, it's it's not exciting when play is not going. And the big thing about hockey is that the, the, we know that, that 60 minutes, the the puck is in, in motion, where other sports, how many times is, is the ball in motion, you know, in baseball or other sports. So that's what I think has changed and made the game what it is today is uh, it's sometimes you wonder if it's a bit too fast, but uh, that's that's the way it is. There's no hooking and hole, and there's no stick. Like there was a lot of stick fouls in in that uh, era. Like you could use your stick to impede the the progress of a 
of a player as long as you didn't do it viciously. And now, now you cannot do that. It's it's an automatic. As soon as your stick comes up near the hand area, you know, you, you just a little tug. It's a penalty. Is there one coach today that you like to watch in how he runs his bench or how he does his power play or, or anything like that? Is there one coach when you watch all the games in Tampa where you say, "Wow, I really, I really." associate with what that guy's doing or I really like what that guy's doing? Yeah, I, I, I liked, uh, I mean, I, I know the guy because he worked a year with us when I was, when I was at Chicago too, Mike Sullivan. I mean, he, he, he plays a pretty fast paced game. Like he, he likes, uh, not a racetrack game, but he likes the puck moving and chasing. And, and, you know, he, you see what he did a couple of years ago when he had, had the guys that we never heard of them, and they, they, they looked like pretty good players in the playoffs. And, and they came in with a pretty – but the pace of the game. And, and Tampa's, a, Tampa's a good team, too, because it's a good team to watch because they, they've got a high-powered offense. They've changed their their style a little bit this year. You know, they're trying to not not be as, as, uh, as uh, like, wide open, maybe. They, they, you know, they've, they've got some really high-end players. But uh, uh, I saw – Earlier in the year, uh, a team came in. And was, I think I think it was when Peter Laviolette was with Nashville, and they they were a pretty stru- they were a structured team uh, when I when they came in. I only saw them one one game, and uh, you know I I, I I just look at these teams and and say, boy, you know it's it's a different game, and 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 they're and I watched to see how they can get matchups, but the matchups are not they're not as crucial. They'll get the defense matchups. I think the first, to me, the first coach that ever did that in my time was Al Arbor, and uh, he matched up the when he was, when he had the Great Islander teams in the early '80s. Um, the, that's what he. I don't think he worried about the forwards as much as because he, had, you know, he had a really solid team. But his defense, he, he made sure that he had his top defenseman out against the other team's top uh, forwards, and. That's what most of the teams try now because it's a pretty easy change because, you know, usually for the first and third period of your of your game when your bench is beside your, your end zone, it's easy to get that, that one defenseman's easy to get off and then the other one. Uh, that's a big thing about defensemen for me is when it's not as easy for defensemen to get off, especially when they're in the middle period because they got the long change. But um, that's a, that's an important aspect for defensemen is uh, like you play your shift, but you you know there's only certain times in that shift where you might have the opportunity to get off because if you get off at the wrong time and you're a defenseman, I mean you're you're given a you're pretty well given a scoring chance, you know. <laughs> I wanted to ask you too, Scotty. Um... And it, and it sort of plays off of Sean's last question, but just you had a style of coaching and, and styles of coaching were, were different with how you dealt with the players not on a personal level, on a, you know, on a human to human level, not just on an X's and O's level. So how do you think when you talk to coaches now who are coaching in today's game, how has that changed? How would you have had to change to coach today, the player today, as opposed to the player when you coach? Is there any difference well, that you would have to make? would be pretty difficult for one coach to try to run a bench today uh now they've got they use, there's usually his, his his number one assistant will be changing the def- and sometimes it's a defense an ex defenseman but a defenseman will be you know the head coach i don't know many head coaches that don't change the forwards and then mm-hmm. and then he has an assistant that'll change the defense you'll have another usually they have another coach now that 
he can run stuff through because you know there's a lot of stuff you want to talk about at the so when I coached when I first t- coached I was the only person on the bench and we didn't have three pairs of defense we only had two and so you didn't even worry about your defense I mean it was you might have had a fifth defenseman dressed who didn't who maybe played on penalty kill if one of your defensemen got got there or an injury or something or you wanted to switch things up. But it wasn't like one, two, three pairs of defensemen, all six guys, because now the the pace of the game. So I, I think that's the big change for me is your assistant. Um, I, I was sort of for, the first coach that had – I was an assistant coach for Lynn Patrick, though, in St. Louis. I mean, we might have been the first team because I was going to coach the second year when I when I went from the junior team in Montreal and I, I had coached uh, his son uh, Lynn pa- uh, Craig Patrick uh, in, with junior Canadians and then that's how I got to know Lynn and then when he got the job in St Louis I was going to be his assistant uh, manager and assistant coach the first year become the coach the second year but we made changes after the first sixteen games so but I did change the defense in the first 16 games and I think we were the one team that did it and then and then everybody only had one coach at that time the first coach though that had two I think was Fred Shiro as I can I can recall Fred Shiro had had uh, he put Mike Nicoluk a guy by the name of Mike Nicoluk he was a, a minor league player that was a very good face-off guy and he became his uh, his uh, assistant you know Fred was a defenseman in his day and Nicoluk was a forward but then I got lucky in Montreal uh, because Claude Ruel was, uh, <clears throat> he came down every period. Uh, he was a vital man at, in all the practices. He just, uh, he worked with our defensemen. I give him so much credit for, they were good defensemen, these guys. They're all Hall of Famers. But he worked diligently with all our defense because that's the kind of coach he was. So with now, you you got face-off, like the, the Tampa team, uh, they brought in a, a Jeff Halpern. A guy from uh, played in Washington, very very astute uh, faceoff man, and uh, you know they, you, you know you look at teams like Philadelphia, they've they've got Philadelphia people don't talk about it, but they they got three coaches that were head coaches. You know they got Alain Vigneault, they got they got uh, Michel Therrien who coached in Montreal and Pittsburgh, and they and they and they have uh, 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 Mike Yo. Mike Yo. Yeah. yeah. So you know three three head coaches. I mean. You know, it's not it's not a surprise that that team is, you know, they they've they've got a lot of input there. But that's the the trend now is to is the you know you you're not going to bump into each other. They have everybody has their roles on a team on a coaching staff, and there's so much so much video. You know, they have the uh, tablets on the bench. They can they can look. I often wonder how it works. I've never been on the bench lately. How how do they know what the they must have a way of looking at what they want to look at, you know. Everybody wants to play hockey when summertime comes. Uh, yeah. You know, that's that's <laughs> the hope that everybody's going to do it. As a coach, what would you be doing now? Everybody's everybody's cooped up; they can't do anything. Yeah. How would you be spending your time now to get ready for what everybody hopes will be a, a sprint to the playoffs and the playoffs in the summertime? I think they're probably, you know, um, initially they didn't know how long it was going to last. Uh, who knows now? what the future holds but i i would say you're probably in contact i mean you can't see the people but you could you can get in contact by texting or or just making sure i mean it's not as easy right now because the the facilities uh some people do have better access to facilities than others but uh, but you know i think for the most part teams uh they had their they're either their 
most of them were their practice rink was their go-to place where the players would spend a lot of time on training and off-ice workouts. And, of course, that's been, that's been taken away with the gyms and that being closed and those rinks have been closed. So I'd, I'd say be contacting the player, keep, making sure the health is good, making sure, you know, they've got to keep active. I just noticed today uh, online somewhere where some, I mean, I don't know how many are doing it, some have got their roller roller uh, blades on and they're doing roller skating because, I, I mean, we don't, there's very few, I, I don't know of any ice surfaces that would be available in, in uh, North America, you know. Uh, so keep in touch with your guys and making sure that uh, they know that you're 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 still their coach and make it just <laughs> contact and make sure everything's uh, you know and and maybe when something comes up I mean uh, we hear a lot of stories and uh, obviously uh, you know they're going to try as hard as they can not to it's a long time I mean if if you go from Mar- I mean as long as this thing uh, continues to improve. And who knows what the next chapter is going to be? But you know, to to not have uh, hockey for for six months is from March. I mean, it, it's never been that long for a long time. Even now, when teams don't make the playoffs, it's April, and then they they do some training maybe in August or, or September. So I think that's that's the unknown is is uh, making sure that whatever formula comes up, that uh, they'll, they'll they'll be if if they do come back though, they're gonna. I think they'll be prudent enough to give these players the the, 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 if the, the enough time to practice and get to get back into the speed, you know? What do you miss the most right now, Scotty, with the game not being available? I mean, are you watching old uh, games? During the day, books? I can keep busy where I am. I, I really I really find at night, at night, because, you see, I, I'm very fortunate. I, I can get to the Lightning games. I go to the – I live here – I, I don't miss a game unless I'm not here, and I've been the last couple of years. I don't travel a lot, so I see all their games, and I and I tape games. I I like to tape the later games from the West Coast, and then I'll either get home because I can get home. Uh, our games are over, and I get home by eleven o'clock, and I, and there's some either some late games on. I really miss though when there's no game when when the Lightning are not playing. Um, I I've been. I just like to watch the. I, I I don't like to flip around, but I try to try to zero in on a game. And if there's another game I want to watch, I'll tape it. So I watch a lot of games on on on. on I have a nice, good sized TV, and I I, I really enjoy watching hockey uh, when I'm not at the game. So you know, and I I think when you coach a long time, you know, even I even if there if there's if there's no game some night or somewhere I have to do something. You keep looking at your watch and saying mm-hmm. seven o'clock or seven thirty or eight o'clock, and I'd be behind a bench somewhere. So I, 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 I mean, I, I like hockey so much. I like to watch the games. I like to, I like to try to keep up with the, with some teams that it's not as easy to keep up with. You know, like West Coast teams and that. You know, the last one for me, Scotty, and, and I, I can't thank yeah. you enough for doing this. Is again when we were kind of leading into your talk, one of the things we were talking about was. Uh, uh, Gretzky and Ovechkin and, and dinner they had together uh, a couple of years ago and, and Ovi spending the whole time he had with Gretzky basically asking not how he scored all his goals or anything like that but what Ovi needed to do to win the cup and he, he basically picked his brain for two hours and from talking to you for these 20 minutes it's clear that you're always trying to learn something new and you're you're staying active in the game and I know I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit but is there somebody you'd love to sit down with over a long dinner and just pick their brains about hockey? 
I mean, I, I have people that I know in, in the game now, but I mean, you know, look, looking, looking at, uh, what they, what you have in the, in the game today. I've been, I've been a really, um, I haven't been able to spend much time with them. I saw him play, I saw him play, uh, junior hockey in the Memorial Cup, uh, Sid, Sidney Crosby, um, because I was in Pittsburgh. I've been to some events in Pittsburgh, but I, I really, I've only said hello to him. Um, I, I, I go into the games in Tampa. If they're, uh, they play soccer, as you go into the press room, I'll, I'll say hello to him or he'll say hello to me. And uh, just just to sit down, because I, I think he's, you know, when people talk about generation-type players, I mean, I, I looked at his record the other day. It was just an amazing record for a guy. So consistent. He had the setback for a couple of years with the, with the uh, you know, the, the, the concussions. But, uh, I mean... Is is, is 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 he's like a he's like the perfect player again, you know. And I mean, there are people often ask, "Is he going to go down?" I said, "Well, it doesn't have to do any more for me." He's had 15 years. He had a, like a couple of years where he couldn't play more more than 20 or 30 or 40 games. But you know, look at his playoff record. Look at his performance, and look at the change of players that he's had to play with. And he's just consistent. And I, I, I he's the one that I I think we're going to see when we'll maybe. I, I won't be here, maybe, but in 20 or 30 years, I mean, the the impact that he had on the game, you know, from the time he started 15 years ago, has been amazing. And 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 a, and a, you know, when you look at all the other great players in in, in history, he, people always ask, "How good is he?" Well, I said, "He's going to be right there with those players." I mean, what could you ask any more of a player? I mean, he's he, he started off. As a young player, he had a terrific rookie season. He was a great offensive player. And like the same thing as Bobby Orr when he started, they said, well, you know, he's, he's not very good defensively. <laughs> well, we know what kind of a player Bobby Orr was. And Sid Crosby is the same type. I mean, you know, where are you going to get a player that plays as, as hard as he does, as consistent as he does offensively, defensively, face-offs? I mean, that's, that's some player. We get a chance in the locker room sometimes going after games or practices. We ask some questions. You want to sit down with him. What would you ask Sidney Crosby? What would Scotty Bowman want to ask Sidney Crosby? I'd like to know how he, how he, when he started hockey. I mean, I've heard some stories about him that he attended a hockey school in in a native pro, right the next province over Prince Edward Island. I would like to know when he first started to play hockey uh, because I did hear about him. Everybody heard about him when he was maybe 12 or 13, but just how he evolved, how he evolved as a player. Because I, I remember I did go to Halifax. I was working for Detroit. I wasn't coaching. So it was sometime after 2002. I went to Halifax. Uh, Bobby Smith, the former NHL player, owned the team, and he asked me to go and, and, uh, and go to a dinner and a banquet there, and I went down. I was just, I was just, I wasn't coaching anymore. And I went to a game in Halifax. He was playing for Ramuski and he's from the next town over from Halifax. And, you know, it was an important game. And he, that's the first time I saw him play. That was even before the Memorial Cup that they played in. And he, um, the crowd, there was a good crowd. It was a big crowd of six, 8,000 people there. And he got, I think he got two goals and five or six assists in that game and when he got he, he did something remarkable in near the end of the game and the crowd in Halifax stood up and cheered him and 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 I mean his team 
his team won something, a big score, like they were a visiting team. So that that was amazing that I, I saw him play. I don't I mean this before his draft, even in the NHL, but I, 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 I that opened my eyes. But people knew about him before that. They, you know, they say that about a lot of players coming up, you know, the next great one and all that. And I remember them saying that about Crosby and people would say, oh, it's just another name, but look what he's done, you know? Yeah, well, look what you've done. Scott, Scotty, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us all this time. It's great to go down there oh, and talk about what's past and present. Thank you so much. Let's hope the next time we'll see a hockey game. <laughs> Definitely thanks, Scotty Bowman, for jumping on with us. Great stuff from the legendary coach. Uh, so thank him a ton. There's obviously a lot of uncertainty about what's going on in the league right now and where we stand. A uh, lot of talk out there about what could be done as the countries try to start to reopen a little bit. Commissioner Gary Bettman is going to be on Sportsnet tonight, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, sitting down with Ron McLean, Sean. He's going to hopefully provide some more clarity on where we stand as a league. But we did get some news this week that we do know and we are clear on, on some little bits of news that happened. Number one, Dustin Bufflin's contract with the Jets formally terminated. And look, I mean, he left $14 million on the table, Sean. Formally terminated contract. I don't know that Dustin Bufflin is going to play again in the National Hockey League. Not that he can't play again. I just don't know that he wants to. He could definitely play again. I mean, he'll be a free agent. I, I, I don't believe he could play this year. Um, so it'd, it'd be the start of next year. But look, I think any time, you know, you leave that kind of money on the table and, and you don't try and come back. I don't know that, you know, you're going to play. But, hey, look, Gronk's back playing for the <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And nobody thought he was going to come back, right? And all of a sudden he's got no a No collusion there for the Brady, right? None there. Right. He's sure. got a great opportunity and, and, you know, he can fulfill the last year of his contract and play with who he wants to play. And all of a sudden he's got his desire back. So maybe there's something <laughs> like that that happens with Buffalo. And maybe, you know, he gets an opportunity to play in Minnesota and he can't pass it up. But uh, I, I think it'll take a pretty special offer to bring him out of retirement. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, he didn't want to play at the start of last season. He didn't want to be traded. Um, he didn't want to skate after rehabbing his ankle. So lots of red flags there, but we'll see. You're right. I mean, Dustin, Often might get the itch to start playing again. Uh, another piece of news, Eunice Corpusalo signed a two-year contract with the Blue Jackets, and he's going to continue to battle with Elvis Merzlikens for the number one spot there. I think it's a great spot here for the Blue Jackets. They'll get Merzlikens under contract too. Yarmo Kekalainen and their GM said that's the next thing because he's an RFA or pending RFA. They're going to have good goaltending for a long time in Columbus, I think. And they have a perfect situation where two guys – are pushing each other. They're both young. They both want to be number one. Nothing is going to be given to either one of them, you know, and I, and I think they have a real opportunity to kind of push each other until one of them gets to a point where they need a contract that's financially not palatable for for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and that's when, you know, that's when these kind of tandems usually get broken up. But I don't see that coming for a little while with the Blue Jackets. And when you look at some of the successful teams now, like, you know, you look at a Boston and it's almost a straight platoon, the Dallas Stars, you know, you you need two, sometimes three good goalies in a year to be a successful team and, and get through an 82-game schedule. So to me, it's a perfect situation in in uh, in Columbus. And, and they're two really fun goalies to watch, one for the way he plays and one not only for the way he plays but for his personality, and that's Elvis. So um, they'll certainly be a team that I'm interested in watching for several years to come.
Manny Legacy is a terrific goaltending coach, and they also have Jim Corsi in the organization as a goaltending development coach. And I think those two guys working with these, these you know, Manny Legacy working daily with Corpusalo and now Merzlikens, um, they'll find the balance there. There's no question about it. Oh, another thing with Columbus, Mikhail Grigorenko, remember him? Uh, was the number 12 pick in the draft by the Buffalo Sabres in 2012. He wants to come back. He signed a one-year contract with the Blue Jackets, but that contract was rejected by the NHL because it violated the terms of the CBA. Grigorenko played the last three seasons in the Continental Hockey League, but because he was previously drafted and played in the NHL, he's not eligible to sign an NHL contract until the free agency period opens after this season. But he wants to come back. And the Blue Jackets are excited to have him. And I'm curious to see what he can do. I mean, they need more offensive guys, and maybe he can be a spark plug for them. Yeah, and, you know, just judging from the quotes from Yarmo when he had his uh, press conference, uh, teleconference about signing Jonas and, and some of the other things that are going on in Columbus, you know, he's excited to bring him in. It, it's really a low-risk opportunity. You know, they, they're not really expending anything other than money. And there's no question he's a highly skilled offensive player. And I think the hope is, you know, playing three years in back in the KHL and, and kind of finding himself and growing up a little bit and, and doing all those things that players need to do to become better. You know, it, it now comes here on a relatively low-cost contract and, and maybe you hit a home run. That's going to happen hopefully next season for Grigorenko and the Blue Jackets. One other piece of news before we get to our final thing that we want to talk about, which is the all-in challenge. Jason Spezza announces that he wants to return to the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's on a one-year $700,000 contract. He wants to re-sign. And I frankly don't know why the Leafs wouldn't, especially if it's going to be on another bargain contract like this. He's, he's got 25 points in 58 games this season. He's playing on their power play. He's thriving under Sheldon Keefe. And, it's clear to me that Jason Spetz has still got game left. He's experienced. He's been in some playoffs. He's been in some big games. He he knows what's coming for a very young team. And, and he's kind of that, that stabilizing force at, at a very reasonable price. A, a steal, as you said. Um, I, I don't know how you can lose, especially, you know, if as, as the – money that the the Maple Leafs have to put out continues to escalate, um, you know, to be able to get experienced players who can contribute, who can play a little bit in their own end and kind of take some of the pressure off of some of these young emerging superstars. I I don't see how you don't do it. I I think there's going to be a lot more players like Spezza in the next couple of years. I, I agree with you. All right. Before we go, let's have a little fun. All right. Michael Rubin, uh, I believe it's Michael Rubin, from uh, Fanatics, the owner of Fanatics, started the all-in challenge, right? And, you know, it's, it's raising money to, for, to feed people, to feed kids, the elderly, the heroes among us, the frontline workers, right, at this time. And you've got celebrities from sports and entertainment donating packages that people can bid on. There's sweepstakes, there's auctions. The NHL is involved with uh, a 2021 Winter Classic Ultimate Experience. Uh, You and nine friends go to Minneapolis on the league's dime, go to the practice on the 31st, meet and greet players, the New Year's Eve party, locker room access, tour of Target Field, uh, signed jersey, and you get the suite to watch a game. So you can bid on that for the All-In Challenge. What about you? 
what would your all in challenge? You look up some of these things. What would you do? What, what all in challenge do you want, Sean? That's already on the list. Like I think the 94 uh, yeah. Stanley cup championship team is a pretty cool one where you get a team together and you get to play those guys at Madison square garden. Maybe I would get the 94 devils back together and they could play at the mm-hmm. garden. Right with me, <laughs> as the, with me as the number one center, right? And we'll we'll play out the Eastern Conference final. But uh, you know, it's cool because there's so many that aren't hockey related. Like you know, Sagan's doing one um, where you can go golfing with them. Like I think it's great. I think anytime people can use their their platform and, and the fact that people idolize them so much, Bieber's doing one where he's going to come and sing at your house. Um, you know, maybe I'd have to do one for my kids. I don't know. So they, they would be happy. But if I could pick one and I could put money out there and, and do anything I, I wanted, I would put money out and I would go on tour with Clutch. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Another one of your bands that I don't know any of their songs, right? So, but what would you do if you could do anything? <laughs> you're going to spend money. You're going to spend your hard-earned money to do something and raise some money for charity for the pandemic. What's the one thing you'd want to do? That's a good question. I, I looked up. I, I never thought of it that way. I looked up at it of what there was available on the All In Challenge, and there were a few to me that were available that I would say I would put my money to this. Give me Eli Manning's MVP Corvette convertible that he won for the 2012 Super Bowl MVP. I'll take that one. Or as a Mets fan, uh, give me the Daryl Strawberry Special, a signed 86 Mets jersey and a chance to watch a Mets game with him at City Field. See, Sean, I thought you would go to the Bucks home opener and get a, you know, get dinner with Tom Brady. I mean, what, isn't that for you? That would be cool, but I, I'm, I'm putting all that behind me. Um, the whole Brady. <laughs> you're the whole Chris Brady, Wagner, Gronk, right? You're ready for the rebuild. Right? The whole Brady Gronk thing, like, that's great. They're going to be my favorite NFC team now. Um, but uh, that era is done. They, they've delivered all the championships to the Patriots that uh, that I think anybody needs. So it was a great it was a great time in sports history. But uh, you're still <laughs> ducking my question. You you have millions of dollars, and you could go to anybody and say, "I'm going to give all this money, but you have to let me do this." What are you doing? I want to hand out the Stanley Cup. There you go. I want to take Gary Bettman's job, and I want to hand out the Stanley Cup just one time. I want to be able to hand it to the captain of the winning team to shake his hand in this few moments after he gets to win it. That would be a terrific thing. Or I want to be like Mike Bolt or Phil Pritchard and do a summer with Stanley, travel around with the Stanley Cup, and go to every one of these parties that these guys have. Dude, you're not in shape to do that. You won't make it. (laughs) There's no way I would make it. I would make it about a week. But you know what? It would be a lot of fun. It would be great. (laughs) Those are two good answers. Thank you. Now you got to make it happen. Win the lottery. There's no chance. There's absolutely no chance I can make that happen. But I think that would be a very cool all-in challenge, though. Maybe not the, the handing out the Stanley Cup one. That's the tradition. But from the cup keepers, right? To join them rather than join a player who won it, but join the cup keepers on maybe their Europe trip or something like that when they go to Europe in the summer with the cup and visit all the, play- the players that won it. That would be a good all-in challenge. Oh, fantastic. I would do that in a heartbeat. Anyway, this was fun. I'm so happy we got Scotty Bowman on. He was great. Oh, uh, unbelievable. It was a 30-minute graduate-level course in hockey theory and hockey history. <laughs> People would pay good money for it, and we got to do it for free, and now people are going to get to listen to it for free. Just a fantastic way to spend a Wednesday afternoon. 
We thank you for listening. Keep listening. We'll be back next week. And until then, everybody stay safe. 